Hello, everyone. We know the last thing you need is another fitness podcast to catch up on the newest trends, the fad diets that are based on popular opinion and not actual research. Enter myself, Mariana, over here. We made the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast to make exercise and nutrition science practical. Our goal is to expose misinformation in the industry by providing only evidence-based education, where today we are covering the 10 signs that you might not be eating enough. That's not where you thought I was going with that. 10 signs that you might not be eating enough food for your goals. We're gonna count them down in 10. They're no in particular order. But before we get started, as always, I wanna give a quick shout out to our Patreon over here with the weekly research review. We take research, it's complicating, it's boring, it's gross, right? And we break it down into an easy to understand, digestible way that can be applied into your everyday life. The latest research surrounding nutrition and training for fat loss, gut health and digestion, sleep and recovery, supplementation and more. In this past week, at the time this airs, we actually just did a massive deep dive on rep ranges completely changing what we thought and what's even been taught in NASM CPT textbooks, even as late as five, six years ago. So we reviewed 13 different studies, a massive systematic review and made analyses, breaking down so you can apply that in our life. A quick note from the sponsor of this episode, Eat This Much. Eat This Much is a meal planning, meal prep app. You can also track your calories, figure out how many calories you need to eat for fat loss, building muscle, or just kind of overall health. So they do have a free version where you can do all of those things, setting your own specific goals, and you have access to thousands of meal prep friendly recipes. They also have a premium version where you can plan a week of meals ahead of time, automate your grocery list from the meals and the recipes you take from the app, which is actually really convenient. I think that's my favorite feature. You can make automatic leftovers, add them to the next day, customize every single day of the week, and you can print, email your plans, and have access to them whenever, wherever you are. So it's super convenient. We know that prepping ahead of time for your week ahead, as far as food goes, can be one of the most inconvenient things to do. And if you're not planning, then it's really hard to achieve your goals. So Eat This Much makes that possible. You can get 20% off Eat This Much premium at eatthismuch.com forward slash fitness stuff. And you get the first two weeks of premium free with the free version. So you can try it out our FS research review is available on Patreon. It's five bucks a month. We get weekly research reviews sent out to you guys every single Friday. And that will be in the show notes or in the link in our bio on our socials. See you there. Then we'll do that. Then we go into it today. Let's get to that good, good. I like the title of this episode because I don't think that many people ever question this. There's a lot of signs, reasons. Oh, here's some reasons why you might be eating too much. Here's how to know mm -hmm. if you're eating too much food, if you're eating in excess, but not ever, no one really talks about how to tell if you're not eating enough food, enough food, which yeah. is very real, which is very real. Mm -hmm. And I just want to do, I'm really excited about this episode, but we just wanted to put a really yes. big disclaimer at the beginning of this one. We are not doctors. We're not here to diagnose or treat anyone. There may be some sensitive topics coming up about disordered eating, eating disorders. We're just here to communicate the literature and educate you guys so that hopefully if you do relate to any of these or if you've been struggling with something we're talking about, you have a mode of action in terms of who you could go to kind of get the most help, discuss it with your medical professional or registered dietitian. We are just here to share the science information. I think it's nice to throw everything out there. It's like we can talk about all day and no one bats an eye when we say, oh, you're eating too much if here's how to tell if you're eating too much. But then it's taboo a little bit to say, what if you're not eating enough food? If we just look at it like objectively, it's like they're both issues that a lot of people go through. Men, women, everybody go through eating too much food, not eating enough food. And that's what we want to highlight today. We're doing top 10 and they're not in any particular order today. We want to make that outright, but we're going to go through signs to tell if you're not eating too much. At the end, we'll talk about what to do if you realize that you may not be eating enough to support your goals, your health, anything else. Do we want to kick this one off? Yeah. Go straight into it. Rock and roll. Right. We picked it again. I'm going odds. Mariana's going evens. So we'll start up right over here. Number one, in no particular order, so I shouldn't even number them. Number one, if you constantly, and this is a huge one, if you constantly have low energy or you're fighting fatigue day in mm -hmm. and day out, if you're constantly on low energy, if you're constantly fighting fatigue, it's one of the biggest things I see. And even people coming towards the end of a long dieting phase They'll tell you firsthand, like, yes, this is very, very real because this is pretty simple. 
right? If you're under eating food and calories, what's a calorie? It's measuring energy. Yeah. Food is energy. Food is energy. So if you're on a low calorie diet, if you are not eating enough to sustain the energy production that you have to go through the day, not even just in the gym, physically, but mentally, how much energy your brain takes up in a day is astounding. Your brain fuel, I mean, is it, do you have the percentage? What percent of calories typically per day goes to the brain? I have no idea. I, can't, I don't know off the top of my head. But I'm going to search this real quick and put it yeah, in here. And a note, well, well, Tony finds that also something that people don't, yeah, not eating enough, but you're also not getting enough micronutrients. So like, especially with your B vitamins, low vitamin, any of, especially B12, I would say a common symptom of that is fatigue, low energy. So if you're not eating enough in general, it makes it that much more difficult to hit your micronutrient need intake. And many common signs of any micronutrient deficiency is fatigue, low energy, especially with the B vitamins, which are often one of, I think next to vitamin D, B12 is also another very common deficiency that you see. So yeah. it's not it's not just about, you know, oh, I'm not eating enough calories. Calories are energy. That's a big part. But also to think about the next level of I'm not meeting my micronutrient needs either, which can have so many different slews of health issues. Seriously. Fantastic point. Because, yeah, calories will fuel you through the day. But the micronutrients you could like we've talked about how important it is to have a very uh, wide variety in the foods that you eat, not like yes. healthy versus unhealthy, but just a wide variety of everything in there because you're consuming so many different micronutrients in certain foods, even in some that you might consider unhealthy that aren't in certain foods that you might consider healthy. So having a wide variety there helps you collect. So if you're constantly on this low intake, you're probably missing out on quite a few and only like a blood test could probably show that. Yeah. Also, I was looking this up and I think we got to do a little bit ticking because I think it said close to 20% of oxygen goes to the brain, 20% of oxygen. And then someone said that means 20% of total calories, which you're not burning 20% of calories from your brain. I'm going to just, yeah. we're going to cut this part out, but <laughs> we'll look into that. Cause I think it'd be an interesting fact. So lack of nutrients, lack of energy. If you're constantly fatigued, if you constantly have low energy, that's one of the bigger signs. Yeah. You want to go into yeah. number two? Yeah. So this one's a, this one's another big one, but low sex hormone production or loss of menstrual cycle. So the loss of your menstrual cycle could be a sign of that. But why I wanted to put in the low sex hormone piece is because that can apply to both men and women. Yeah. So a little bit of background on this. So the hypothalamus and pituitary gland, which are both located in your brain, they work together to maintain hormonal hormonal balance, hormonal balance. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and the hypothalamus receives signals from your body that let you know when your hormone levels need to be adjusted. So the hypothalamus produces hormones that stimulate or inhibit the production of estrogen and progesterone, which are the female sex hormones. And then you also, it's the same for the male sex hormones. And when your calorie intake is too low, these signals can become impaired. And that leads to changes in the amount of these hormones released. So that's why, and this can also happen with low body fat percentage. Yeah. So you can have, be eating enough and have low body fat percentage, which is, I just wanted to mention that, but that is when you'll see hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is having no menstrual period for three months or longer. And this was with no other underlying cause of this, because there are other things that can be causing that, but that is very, very common. And then this also for men, why this applies to men, if your sex hormone production is lower because you're not eating enough, that impairs your sex drive. And that this also happens with women too. The severity of this, and this is specifically for our female audience, the severity of losing your menstrual cycle and not producing these hormones. I know at the time it may seem nice, especially if you're younger, this is that, oh, I don't have a period. That's great. But how that affects you in the future, especially yeah. if you're not eating enough, it's also really hard to get pregnant. If your sex hormones, if you don't, if you're not producing them, you're not going to be able to get pregnant. And this also can affect just other processes in your body, your overall well-being. You know, we have our menstrual cycle for a reason and it requires food to be able to function properly. So I just think that that, and it honestly pains me that that is 
you don't see this as much in the media, but it's almost like between like girls, it is, especially if you're younger, like early twenties, late teens, like it's kind of glamorized and like people will brag about it. And it is so, so serious. This is also really common in female athletes, the female athlete Mm -hmm. triad. I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with this, but these constant underfueling and also over-exercising and the loss of your period and what that can do to you later in life from a health standpoint. This is also increases your risk for developing osteoporosis. And it's just, I could talk about it all day because- It's serious though. It's like really serious. It's kind of like those things that bubble up that on the surface, it's not really a bad problem, but it's showing you that there's a big, big problem underneath the surface that you might not be able to see yet. Yes. It's a huge yes. problem. And same thing with, I mean, male and female sex drive. Sex drive comes from, you know, part psychological, part physical. And if you have a loss of that, especially if you like interview or talk to, especially competitors for bodybuilder physique, male and female, towards the end of their peaks and their cuts, that's the first thing they will tell you is negative sex drive, not even zero, but in the freaking whole sex drive. It's not a good marker of health. Right. If you're losing that and it's from a physical issue, not a psychological issue, that is a sign that there are certain, if not many things going wrong underneath the surface that need to be addressed. And exactly why you need food, you need fuel for your body just to run as optimal as it can. So if you're experiencing these things, loss of period, loss of sex drive, that's physical. Don't just shrug it off because you you don't technically need it in your day to day function at your job at whatever. But don't just shrug it off because it's something that just builds and catches up to you. Yeah. It's not good. And also if you are for women, if this is something that is happening and you're bringing it up, which as you should with your OBGYN, consider and have this conversation. And if they're not open to it, definitely seek out a registered dietitian if you have access to one. But talk about maybe if you're not eating enough, consider that first because the first response, especially if you haven't had your period for five, six, seven plus months, and you're not on birth control, that will be the first response is to give you these, give you birth control, low dose. So really kind of consider address the dietary thing before you do that. Because again, that's not, you don't, you want your body to be able to produce these on your own. And again, I'm not your doctor, but definitely bring that up and definitely consider that as well when it's just, if this is something you're experiencing. Yeah. I think we share that approach. Like in most things, not even just this, but in pretty much everything, it's like, if you're not doing everything you can through dietary physical approach, it's usually better to check those things off than to cover it with a pill, a medication or something else. You yeah. might need it. And that's totally fine. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Yeah. But I, in our opinion, I think my opinion, especially is like, try and just explore what you can through these kind of options, because it's going to feel, it's not just going to cover anything up. It's going to solve the yeah. root. Yeah. Which if is, it's been like a year and you've been eating, you know, you've been eating enough, you've been working on it and you still haven't gotten your period back, then it's definitely like, yes, of course, that should be an approach you consider because it's very effective. But yeah. And even if you're getting blood tests done, like if you do it regularly, there's just through your insurance or through Merrick Health or Inside Tracker, if you get your mm-hmm. hormonal panel done, especially like for men experiencing like low testosterone, it usually comes from low dietary intake, like just from a calorie standpoint and low fat intake, which is usually coupled with a lot of like low calorie intake diets, just because they're so calorie dense. So if you're getting your hormones checked, that's usually a pretty solid sign too, where you can see some of these being suppressed. If you're not getting them checked already. I knew that was going to be a long one. (laughs) That was a good one. Number three. Number three. Number three. That reminds me of the Shrek. No, not Shrek. It was Princess Fiona was picking princes to marry and all the like butlers like number two, pick number two, number three. Never mind. All right. Deep cuts from my Shrek fans out there. <laughs> Number three. This is actually a big one too. And I don't think many people realize it because you just don't think to connect these two things. If you constantly have trouble sleeping, falling asleep, staying asleep, and feeling well-rested when you wake up, again, I think just a little side note too for all of these, all of these could be a sign of not eating enough food. They also could be a sign for a lot of other things. Yes. Oh, you could have trouble. Up, yeah. You could have trouble. You could have trouble sleeping because you're downing three glasses of wine right before bed. Mm-hmm. That's not because you're eating too much, but you trouble sleeping. <laughs> exactly. You could have a lot of other things, but these are also just red flags and signs to check out if you might not be eating enough or if you think you might. Now, if you have trouble sleeping, most people don't connect diet with sleeping. They just don't. They think of it as like, oh, maybe it's just my mind's racing. Maybe it's my, you know, my room's not dark enough. I should take a supplement like melatonin. 
they never think of it from like an energy production standpoint. And I saw you pulled a few studies. I wanted you just to cover on real quick on, yeah. especially because especially it's quality of sleep too, which I know you have one on falling into deeper sleep, the deeper stages of sleep and REM sleep, which have a large impact on how you feel waking up the next morning, which I think yeah. some people are like, I sleep eight hours, but maybe it's not quality. Mm -hmm. So the more, so there are starvation level studies. And so starvation, this is done specifically on those with um, anorexia nervosa, although it is more of a special population that helps identify what is this starvation level because those diagnosed with anorexia, there's specific criteria they have to meet. So that allows for more consistency in the under eating. But they found in all studies, human studies done in those with anorexia nervosa, starvation level calorie restriction leads to sleep interruptions and a reduction in deep sleep. So that's mm -hmm. what Tony was talking about. Maybe you're falling asleep, but you wake up and feel more tired. That's because you're not hitting that REM sleep. And one of the ex mechanisms behind this, and this could be for any explain for a lot of people, if you're just under eating, you're not diagnosed with anorexia, glucose is the brain's number one fuel so source. And so you don't, you don't mm -hmm. think about needing fuel while you're sleeping, but if energy is not readily available to support your really, really active brain, your brain is incredibly active at night yeah. while you're sleeping, you will wake up that will wake you up because your brain is telling you that you need to eat, you need fuel, you need energy. So that is some, and again, this is with consistent under significantly. Yeah. Not under just right before bed, not eating enough food, but just through like over time. Right. Yeah. And then, but kind of to put this, this is just a, an observational study, not a randomized control trial, which we know is the gold standard, but a study of 381 college students on restrictive diets or had other eating problems. So disordered eating, this was either binge eating, anorexia. So anything like that, it was associated. So being on a restrictive diet or having disordered eating tendencies, it was associated with poor sleep quality and lower mood as well. So again, association doesn't mean causation. I'll say that over and over again. They just observed this in this population, but this further kind of this has been replicated in many observational studies before in more of the populations that don't meet that criteria to be actually diagnosed with anorexia. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that it is a restrictive on a restrictive diet. Like you don't even have yeah. to be affect your sleep. So I think that that's something that it's really easy to just dismiss the eating part and just think about, Oh, my brain keeps me up at night. Like I just can't sleep. Something's and this is a, this is a possible thing. And now that's not just saying, okay, go eat, like wake up and go eat a yeah. bunch of sugar, high sugar foods. Cause it's going to make you fall asleep. That's not at all. Yeah. Consistent. And, and even, yeah, like even eating, cause we even know this and we've said it's, well, it's a note that so many things like this are so interdependent where it's not just to, oh, do this one thing and your problem solved because yeah. that one thing will impact three other things. And those three other things will impact three other things. It's, it's all intertwined. But just like you said, and even we know like eating before bed is usually typically not great because you don't want your digestion working late. That also interrupts yes. falling into deep sleep. But this is constant. Like if you're under eating day to day mm -hmm. through the week, this leads us into number four. I think this is one that most people can relate to even in a more fine scale, minute scale. Yeah, this is, this is, yeah. Hanger. Should we say hanger? Yeah. Hang. Let's <laughs> yeah, say that, say that. Mm-hmm. Because you're number, you're number four. Oh, this is me. This is yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, you're number four. So number four is irritability. So like you think about being hangry. So this can be an acute experience as well, which is why I was excited to bring this one up. So even if you're not chronically under eating yeah. and you just under eat for a day, and the, at the end of the day, you get you're moody and you are, you need food. Like you can't interact with anyone until you eat We've something. been there. Like, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. That hanger is a real thing, but like the irritability piece, constantly being irritable on edge, this is a very, very, very common symptom of anorexia actually is a sign that you're under eating. So there it was actually a recent study. I like how they do a lot of these on college and high school age yeah. students, but 413 college and high school students 
found that irritability was associated with dieting and restrictive eating patterns. And the constant preoccupation with food, the constant feeling of hunger, the constant restriction, that affects your mood just in general. If you have anorexia, you're much more likely to develop depression and anxiety as well. It's a very common Which makes sort of sense. It, disorder. Yeah. That ties into just your EQ in general. If you're yes. constantly like on edge, irritable. And this is even because I know a lot of this from that, I think you, the study as well, but even just can come from low blood sugar because I know constantly low dieting can lead to hypoglycemia, even if it's just here and there. Mm-hmm. I'm a type one diabetic. So when I chuck my blood sugar and I know I'm low, my girlfriend even knows when I'm low, I'm kind of a a little testy. I say I'm a little, yeah. t- so I just, I communicate, I say, Hey, I'm a little testy right now until I get my blood sugar up. Like I need something not to say it's because of low blood sugar, but we've all been hangry before. And if you're constantly there, imagine how that kind of ties into just your EQ through every other realm of life. If you're constantly oh. on edge, how many things, I mean, if you're in those hangry moods, you know, right now, like the last time you were hangry, that it, you're hard to deal with other people. Other people don't like dealing, you know what I'm saying? Like, or if you've had a friend or significant other that's hangry, you're like, okay, I know not to do anything. What is that saying about if that's carrying into every part of your life, your job, yeah, that's your family, what I everything to bring else? Up. So if you do know someone that may have been diagnosed with an eating disorder or you're worried about them having some sort of eating disorder and it's not something that they will talk about with you, if you have someone like that in your life and you experience this with them, like they are always on edge, very irritable, like everything has to one of the irritability also comes from with anorexia like it has to be on their routine like control is such Mm -hmm. a big factor of that Mm. diagnosis and so with food any environment that takes them outside of that control and the constant planning worrying about eating like this is a day to this isn't just like oh i'm hungry today so i'm a bit moody this affects just your overall personality. So yeah. you see, like you lose, like people will say, I've lost this person. I don't even know who they are anymore. This can get very, very serious and it's so sad. So also like it's not your job to fix that, but mm-hmm. just don't take it personally, especially if you know that they do are struggling with this and it's, yeah. it's something that you can't do anything to help them and don't take it personally. Whether or not you decide to keep this person in your life, that's, but this is no, it's, like a it's crazy because it's real. Like it's, it does, it bleeds into every aspect of your life. If that's your personality and it's can, being controlled by something like that constantly. Yeah. I mean, it, the it bleeds into everything. I lost when I was going through this, like for the three years that I was experiencing it, like it is, they'll come out of hope. You hope that they come out of it on the other end. And it is actually heartbreaking because they won't, they can't, you can't see it. Like you really can't see it. So You're in a different reality. Yeah. 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 You can't see until you get out of it, which is unfortunate. Now that'll tie us in two. Sorry, that was heavy, but. (laughs) Numero cinco. Numero cinco. Number five of signs that you might not be eating enough food. This one shocked me actually when we're putting together this list. Number five is constant constipation or bloating from not eating enough food. I think most people relate these two things to overeating or eating too much or especially at once. At least that's what I think most people relate it to. But consuming very little food just results in less waste in your digestive tract. That makes sense. So constipation is described as having three or fewer bowel movements per week or having small hard stools that are difficult to pass. And again, this is another one study found in 301 college-aged women that the strictest dieters were more likely to have constipation and other digestive issues, right? Slow motility, low fiber intake and dehydration, which we just did our, we've talked about fiber in the last studies that blew our mind in our Patreon. We did a deep dive on it. Same thing with micronutrients that we're talking about at the beginning, you're getting low, potentially vitamin B, vitamin, a lot of molds like minerals and vitamins through the day. You're probably getting low fiber intake too, if you're constantly underfeeding. And we know how important fiber is to overall gut health, digestion, which bleeds into everything what we went on some of those episodes. Yeah. yeah. And I want to touch on the motility factor a little bit more. Please. Because this is something that I wish it was talked about more, especially in the younger groups of people where it's kind of glamorized to eat a little bit less. When you are constantly not putting enough food into your body, your body adapts to that. So you are 
you get worse at moving food along your digestive tract. That is motility. That's what motility is. It's the movement. Mm -hmm. You also have peristalsis, which is like the actual contraction, but motility is the movement of food along your digestive tract. If you're constantly not giving your body that stimulus of, oh, food is in here, I need to eliminate it, that starts to quite literally become foreign. So you become less efficient at it. I mean, that is, that is a muscle contraction to get that, mo- that food down there. You are not using that muscle as much and you're not yeah. sending that stimulus to your brain as much. So slowed motility so that you can just have a meal. You can be in the middle of a meal, not even have finished it. And you feel like you're going to explode because food is not going anywhere. It's not a normal, it's almost like an exercise that you're, yeah. that you're completing. Yeah. So, and that's why you also have to be really, if you are trying to increase your calories, trying to eat more, get your, you have to push through that discomfort because that is something that is only going to improve with consistency of eating more and giving your body that stimulus. Almost like if you're training at the gym, like you have to continue to train in order to give your brain that stimulus that your muscles are actually working to build strength. Like mm-hmm. you have to train them. You have to continue, continue to work them. You can't just stop. So that is something that I think a lot of people kind of don't think about. And yeah, it's good to kind of point out. Cause not just like the muscular side of things through the exercise, but the mental state mm-hmm. as well. I always like to break it down. Even think of it like a compound lifting, like bench press, squat, deadlift. Those are not just pure strength. If you ever do those for a while, you build your strength up and then you switch to more isolated training, more dumbbell, more cable, more machine-based movements for months and months and months, and you're not training those compound movement patterns and the mechanical patterns that you do during those lifts. If you jump right back into it, you might have more muscle than you did before, but I promise you those lifts are going to decrease because mm-hmm. you haven't gone through the action. And in this case too, it is both sides, it's not just the mentality, but your body's and the, especially just everything being used, the motion isn't being practiced. It's not going yeah. through. Yeah. See, which again, I think that's, that would surprise, I think most people, I think that surprised me the most is oh, number five. Yeah. I mean, like when I, I don't know, it's so weird how this is the most common symptom you'll experience, like as even in, in the thick of an eating disorder is bloating, constipation, and like at very, very abnormal bloating. Like your, I mean, IBS is such a common diagnosis in those with anorexia. So mm-hmm. it is even in treatment, even while you're going, maybe you're not in treatment or even while you're just trying to improve your overall caloric intake, increase it. Bloating is so, so common and normal. And that is why there's so many reasons why you may be bloated again. But that is why I really do hate sometimes when the biggest thing is to get rid of that bloating. You see that on the media, like, oh my God, I'm so bloated. I need to get rid of this. Like in this case, if you know that this is the case and this is what you're working on, now you need to be kind to yourself and move through that discomfort of bloating because it is temporary. If it's not, if you have mm-hmm. something else going on, that's not what I'm talking about. But yeah, I mean, and to that note too, yeah, seriously, how many times it's like, oh, what supplement do I need for bloating? What greens powder do I need for stop? Like, maybe you just there's need a, more food. Like that a, yeah, could well, be. It's there's a reason you're bloating, and even not on like the underconsumption level, like we're talking about here. There's a reason that bloating is occurring. It could yeah. be because you're not eating enough. It could be because you're not eating enough fiber because it could be a lot of different things. Yeah. Figure out why it's there in the first place. Don't look at adding something else in that's just going to cover it up mm-hmm. and be temporary. Yeah. That's a big one. Now, number six, this one, I, again, I think might, I don't think shock people, but people might not think of this as a symptom of oh, no eating. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Number six. Yeah. So constantly feeling cold, like cold all the time. I think a lot of people can associate this with like, oh, that person's really skinny. Like they're cold all the time. And Low body fat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is also like, if you have lower body fat, yes, you're not going to be producing like as much heat, maybe, but this is also mm-hmm. a sign of under eating. So your body needs to burn a certain number of calories in order to create heat and maintain a comfortable body temperature. So if you are not eating enough calories, a common symptom of that, if you're just under eating is being cold more often, getting the chills a lot more often. Cause your body is really trying like getting goosebumps. Your body is trying to like 
generate heat. This is actually in, a, I liked that this was in middle-aged adults. So six-year, six-year, six-year controlled study of 72 middle-aged adults who consumed an average of 1,769 calories a day had significantly lower body temperatures than the groups who consumed between 2,300 and 2,900 calories, regardless of physical activity. And they also were within the same BMI range. So that's what Ooh. I'm talking about. Like, yeah, yeah, this is separate. This can be separate. This is just food. So that is, I think that that's really significant, especially for, I know we've been talking a lot to like people in their 20s, like, more younger adults on middle-aged adults and even into the elderly. As you get older, it's very common for your appetite to reduce a little bit. That makes it that much more important to really focus on making sure you are needing eating enough so that you can override that natural stimulus that happens with age of maybe your hunger hormone kind of decreasing in production. You need to continue to eat in order to be able to efficiently produce and signal these hormones properly. It's important to note it's like these eating more food. It's not just like we're saying that eating more food will just solve this problem. Cause you're like, who cares if you're cold all the time? Why should yeah. I eat more food just to not be cold? It's like, no, these are also those bubbling up signs that are telling you like a sign from within saying, Hey, we're not optimizing our health. We are not yeah. running how we should be running. So it's not just like, Oh, well I'm cold, but who cares? I don't need to be warm. That's not what we're saying here. This is a big sign. I think that it's awesome that they controlled and took into account BMI. Yeah. It's not the most important measure in the world, but we've talked about BMI before a little bit. And I think it's even like, it's most people crap on it. Like they just think it's yeah. terrible, throw it out the window because it doesn't take into account body composition. But I think we've even said on the this show, it's what like, it's meant for. Like, this is what it's meant for. Yeah. And if you're in the obese category, like BMI, especially over, I think it's 31, but the obese category, I can promise you, unless you are the top 0.1% who's carrying a ridiculous amount of muscle. So probably even unnaturally amounts of muscle you're carrying too much body fat mm -hmm. for yourself yeah. if you're in the obese category. So it's not like BMI it's, is total crap. It's yeah, got some it's signs. never, it was never designed or meant to be used in, in practice. So with your patients in, a, in addressing, it's been used to help inform like how we care for people in a certain population, but it was never meant to be used when treating and working with an individual because it's not an individual yep. metric it's for populations and that's where it got all fucked up because doc so many doctors abuse it in practice yeah. and we'll just say oh well your bmi is overweight and not consider anything else and say oh you gotta here here you gotta go on this diet and lose weight when yeah See, it got so misconstrued many, to yeah. it, it equals like a health measure it's like this yeah. like your bmi determines and your overall health it's like no that's not what it was made for yeah. i'm really glad you brought that point up because i think too many people just hear and they crap on it mm -hmm. now after that one whew, i got the shows right there mm -hmm. number seven number seven this one kind of ties in with number one a little bit more but we're not talking about low energy this one, number seven, is having brain fog or really having a hard time concentrating, especially through the day, especially like mental endurance, like being yeah. able to focus for longer periods of time. If you can focus for five minutes and you keep losing it, one, you might have ADHD. Two, it could be because this is a sign of not eating enough food, right? Your brain requires a great deal of oxygen and energy to compute, something we talked about already, right? It yeah. becomes inflexible and it can become difficult to set priorities and easily switch from one task to another when you're under eating. I think most people, and I notice this even on a more acute level, not like we've been talking about like constant under eating, but on an acute level, if I am going pushing back lunch one or two hours and I'm running low, I have the hardest time focusing and keeping attention. And that kind of keeps me, I'm like, oh, oh, I haven't eaten in seven hours. You experience this on an acute basis, but it's also something where if this is chronic, pops up all the time. Yeah. And I love to think of this at like a primal level because when <laughs> hunger, without, however many years ago, hunger saved our lives. So like getting that feeling of being hungry and knowing how to act on that, like it was the first response. If you felt hungry, getting food, getting access to yeah. food was the your brain's biggest focus because that kept you alive because it wasn't like however many years ago like food wasn't readily available so having to be able to plan how you were going to get energy and get access to food like you had to figure that out so 
it is so it, it, when you think about it, it's like if you are all of a sudden three o'clock rolls around, even if you had breakfast and say at 8am and you go that long without food and you really start to feel hungry and you can't focus. And again, this is on the acute level. Like this happens to so many people is in, oh my God, I can't stop. I can't focus. I can't stop thinking about food. The preoccupation about food is what those who are constantly under eating have all the time. That's always yeah, something that pulls your attention. To suppress. Yeah. So having between that, just the lack, not having enough energy, not fueling your brain enough. And what we were talking, when I was talking a lot about the kind of like irritability, it kind of goes into that a little bit is like, you are not present. That's like the brain fog thing. Like you can't think clearly, like yes. you cannot have clear thoughts. You don't have enough energy and you're using so much energy to think about food, to think about your next meal, like to worry about your next meal. Yeah. And that totally, totally, totally strips you of a lot of your like problem solving cognitive abilities. It's insane. It goes I was, to losing I was, a person. I was like, going to say, I've seen a lot of people who, like you're saying, that do this on a day-to-day -day basis, get good at suppressing the feeling of hunger and ignoring it. But mm -hmm. those the symptoms, they still come up through your day. So you, you like you said, yes. you have a hard time focusing. You can't problem solve. Your emotional intelligence goes down. All these things are being suppressed, but you've had to suppress the feeling of hunger for so long that that's mm -hmm. become normal. You don't think about, oh, I'm hungry right now. You yeah. know you're hungry. You know you're there, but it's not brought to the forefront of your attention, but it's mm -hmm. still taking attention away from everything else that you might be focusing on. You've seen, I've seen that a ton yeah. in others who are chronically under eating. And this is another reason why I personally found this episode to be so important. Like, aside from, hey, you may be under eating, like eat more. It's like the, if you are, if you do know that you are actively working on under eating and you do know that is something you're facing, like people need to hear the repercussions of that. I wish this wasn't something that was so, mm -hmm. like it is triggering. You need a certain amount of triggering topics in your life to help you move through them. I personally believe that that's just my opinion, but knowing the consequences of disordered eating and eating disorder is really important. I don't care if it's triggering to you, like it ruins your life and it ruins who you are and who yeah. people know you to be like, that's the serious end of things. I just wanted to yeah. bring that up because that's triggering. Yeah. You need that. a level of uncomfort in faith yeah. to get better. Yeah. Think of it as like getting uncomfortable to get better. Yeah. You need that level of uncomfortable to go next level. So I think that's a hundred percent. It is triggering for a lot of people, but mm -hmm. you need to put, at least handle as much as you can at the moment of that mm -hmm. triggering of that uncomfort. So yeah. you can move forward. Yeah. Now this next one, number eight, get to the top of the list. Number eight, what we got. Yeah. And I'm going to add a little note into this one as well, but this is like, this is hair loss and brittle nails. And then this is separate, but this same what I'll talk about also applies here. Acne, breaking out, your skin kind of not mm. being like it used to. This goes back to the micronutrient conversation. Many, many nutrients are needed to maintain normal, healthy hair and your hair and your nails are made out of the same tissue and stuff. It applies to nails as well. And then also for your skin, you need many vitamins to help build a healthy skin barrier. And then also you have your microbiome on your skin. So having like a good balance there, that can all, that's all affected with inadequate intake of calories and our, it's common signs of deficiencies in these nutrients. And then just also just a lack of calories in general, you need protein, you need biotin, you need iron all for hair growth specifically. And I think that this is one that I know we've, I've been mentioning women a lot, but this is something men, I can't personally speak to it, but I, I would say it's a very common insecurity and it's not talked about enough, like how much that is almost like women joke about it a lot, but like worrying about hair loss and that's such mm -hmm. a sensitive topic. And I know that eating disorders are very common in the bodybuilding industry and big time. it is a very common, it's commonly seen in men who bodybuild as well to lose hair earlier, younger, because you do need these micronutrients. And then there's also that kind of like population of bodybuilders 
who forget about the micronutrient conversation. Like, I feel like, who are we talking about this with? Like Stan? It, yeah, I think it was with Stan. Like, because you're eating, you're worrying about hitting all of your protein, like getting mm, in as low yeah. calories as possible, having all the sugar-free, low-calorie foods yeah. that are, have very little micronutrients in them. So maybe you're eating enough, but you're not eating enough micronutrients. So. I was going to say, especially for biotin, like I know biotin is a lot, like it's found in a lot of, especially fatty, like fish, eggs, red yeah. meat, seeds, nuts, some vegetables. Think about those. Like, those are all very higher fat foods, yeah. good sources of protein too, but higher fat foods where even if, like you said, you're bodybuilding, a lot of the time the goal is how can I get as much protein for as little calories? So yeah. you cut out things like nuts because why would you eat nuts if there's 70% of those calories are coming from fat? You yeah. wouldn't want that. Why would you eat red meat, fattier red meat and fattier fish if you could have tilapia, if you could have chicken, which is a little bit, it still has micronutrients, but a lot less variety. Why would you do that if you could have the smaller piece? Yeah. That's and what that's, it leads to a lot of time. And I'll hear like, oh, I could just take bi biotin supplements or I could just take the supplement. Well, you still, if it's a fat soluble vitamin, you got to take it with the you have to eat it with food. You have to eat it with a fat source. So yeah. you're not going to unless, or you won't absorb it. So the absorption factor with supplements also, especially people just pounding supplements instead of food, you're not as efficiently absorbing these supplements, especially the fat soluble ones, if you're not eating them with a meal and then you're missing out on other components of a micronutrient dense food. So other promoting properties of these foods. So, and again, it, it's like, you don't need to eat them in excess, but even like the littlest bit can go a long way. And that's also those foods high in fat are also really important for your menstrual, menstrual cycle as well, which I didn't mention in the beginning, but yeah, um, especially sex hormones, how large mm -hmm. of a role fatty acids and cholesterol plays in that. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to cut that out. So Number nine. This one should be a breeze because we kind of covered a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Number nine. <laughs> Number nine. But I think a lot of people are like, oh, no, ish Sherlock. Like they just kind of like offset this one. But it's something that I, especially now, like on social media, I have a lot of people commenting like, because I'm not dieting to lose weight. And I think uh, <laughs> I've realized that lately that a lot of people aren't used to seeing people in the fitness space, especially on social media, who aren't dieting to lose weight. Like I'll post a meal, like a super big, like a bacon, egg and cheese, ton of bacon, ton of cheese, ton of eggs. Oh my God. How many calories is that? And I tell them and I'm like, and they're like shocked by it. I'm like, why, why are you shocked by this? Does every, like you should, this is a clear line. You should not be dieting your entire life. I don't think I should have to say that, but I think it's new to say you shouldn't have to be dieting your entire life. So number nine is you're constantly hungry or you're constantly thinking about food. So we kind of touched on this on the brain fog trouble concentrating because that's brought to the forefront of your memory or of your focus and your attention, yeah. but your appetite and what you're constantly thinking about. I'm trying to think of even the secondary consequences that come from that. If you're constantly being pulled towards food, like you said, from that, I don't know if it's more mammalian or just like the ancestral kind of piece of it, of like that signal that you needed to eat so you don't die. That's a real thing. If you're constantly thinking about food or if you're constantly day, like honestly, people daydreaming about food. And not even to the point of just food in general, but like they'll see someone like, again, I'll post a, a donut or a mm -hmm. cookie and people are like, oh my God, I would kill for that. It's like, yeah, go yeah. eat it. That's probably a sign <laughs> you're, well, you're not yeah. where you need to be. So this is also like the, I want to touch on here why I included this, even though we talked about it a little bit, but the, how this affects your food cravings. So studies have shown that appetite and food cravings increase in response to drastic caloric restriction due to changes in levels of hormones that control hunger and fullness. So there is a physiological mechanism to explain this. If you are not eating enough, if you are not satisfying, so your ghrelin hormone is your hunger hormone and leptin tells you that you are full. So if you are not satisfying those hormones, if you are not eating to one first help produce those hormones. So leptin needs to, is produced after a meal to tell you that you're full. So if you don't have that stimulus, leptin production is going too slow. And mm -hmm. then ghrelin, if you are constantly, so that is the stimulus. So if you're hungry, your stomach growls, okay, ghrelin is going to be released 
and then you are going to eat ghrelin decreases leptin increases it's a constant our hormones are constantly working in to counter to counterbalance each other so if you are not providing the stimulus to do that then that affects the production of them and the production will either slow or will get too high which drastically drastically affects your cravings for food so that that's a huge so if you're constantly craving food, you're constantly thinking about food. And one of the reasons why your cravings are so heightened is because you're not getting enough glucose. So that's why typically, typically it's the sugar that you will feel the craving first, the sweet, because your body mm. really wants glucose and your body wants the simple sugars because the simple sugars are going to produce ATP the fastest, get to your brain yeah. the quickest. It'll get digested in 10, 15 minutes versus yes. something slower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is a huge part. I really like to give the why behind here because it, yes, it's self-explanatory. I'm not eating enough. I'm constantly going to think about food, but there's also a mechanism behind this, even if maybe you don't feel hungry, but you do feel like you're craving food or you've suppressed this, but you still feel like you like randomly get cravings or can't control yourself around food. That's the restriction piece and that will play into it. And it, that's why it's so important it's, uh, for a lot of clients that come in one-on-one. I don't know if you've experienced this too, but for me, a lot of them are curious because on the on a weekly check-in, I ask them quite a bit on their hunger cues through the yeah, week, especially in a deficit or dieting phase. And I know we went through one when we were building out that flow chart for our clients in, in Patreon that we could throw in. But going down the list, it's like you really should be paying attention to your hunger cues, especially, especially through your deficit, because that'll tell me as a coach – And if you're a coach and you're not paying attention to this, it's something to worth educating and looking into further because the longer your deficit's going on, the more likely it is that the hungrier you're going to get. So you pay attention to those hunger cues and you can graph them out over time. It's like, okay, month one, our hunger cues were good. We were feeling a little bit of hunger before each meal, maybe a little bit at night here and there, but it wasn't too bad. It wasn't unmanageable. So maybe three, four months in, calories really haven't changed too much. Training hasn't changed like output wise. But our hunger cues are now, we hit a lull in the afternoon for three, four hours before dinner where we can't think about anything but food. That's telling you something. That's telling you, okay, maybe we've been on this deficit a little bit too long. And I know that's one of the big pieces where people who ask like, oh, well, how long should I be on a deficit for? How long can you be on a deficit for? Mm -hmm. You got to pay attention to yourself and how you're changing. That's the answer. There's no hard stop for anybody. Pay attention to especially things like this. And if you're always starving, maybe it's time to take a diet break or a reverse or just another technique to get your body where it needs to be. Yeah. I actually just, I want to bring up, I think this is actually a great time to bring up eat this much again, kind of an example. And especially how I, what I do with my clients is sometimes certain foods, you may be eating on paper enough food, but that Mm -hmm. food is not going to fulfill your hunger. So certain Mm. meals, certain foods, you may feel more satisfied with than others. So in an app like Eat This Much, if you are keeping track of your recipes and your meals, you can go in and add a note and be like, okay, this meal or these specific foods, I felt full. I felt satisfied. I kept me satisfied for like three hours versus Mm -hmm. this meal. I was I wanted even more food. And that can be especially helpful for coaches because if you are seeing those notes, you can look at, hopefully, if you have a bit of nutrition background, consistencies between those meals. Maybe the higher fat meals are really satisfying people. Or maybe the meals with animal protein versus plant protein are much more satisfied. Or the ones with the whole grains versus, you know, white bread the little things like that, it can really help help you on your journey. And whether or not you're trying to lose weight, feeling hungry all like sucks. And sometimes your body just feels more satisfied with different foods. So that's, I think that's uh, much really helpful for that. That was a huge point that I'm pissed. I didn't bring up. That's a huge point. Cause, because I think a lot of people go through it and they don't realize how individualized every small piece of their journey is compared to someone else. Yeah. So like you said, Someone might feel more full after animal protein versus plant. Others might feel the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's important for you to pay attention to that because if you read animal protein fills you up longer, so you start eating that, but you don't feel full after those meals and you do feel more full, that's real. Like you you shouldn't, don't feel like you need that validation from an outside source telling you that you should feel full. 
-hmm. If you feel more full doing one thing than the other, listen to that. Pay attention to that. Try new things out. Maybe high fat does make you fuller longer. Maybe high fat really makes you crave more food after your meal. Pay attention to that, especially like you said, as a coach, if you can just put together those patterns and be like, oh, we constantly are experiencing hunger at the same time of day. Our meals constantly lacking in fat, lacking in X, Y, Z. What can we do to change that? And at least let's try it out for the next week. Let's try changing one or two things up. Let's increase our protein by 20 grams. Let's do this X, Y, Z. And you might notice a pretty big outcome because how, I mean, hunger, and this is something just for dieting phases too. No one can beat hunger in a long-term dieting phase. Nobody. Like, I don't care how motivated you are. Oh yeah, I know. Hunger is, I feel like we say that all the time, but it's like, don't underestimate it. And also don't think you're more powerful than it. And there's a really good, I know we are, I wanted to, I'm going to jump the gun a bit and talk about an applied piece really quick. But if you kind of want to do this, the best time to figure out like what really satisfies you is at breakfast time. Cause this is when your blood sugar is going to be the lowest and you find this often breakfast, you want to set the course if you're eating breakfast. Yes. You want to set the course of your day. So some people, it is very common for some people to be like, every time I eat a, a bowl of oatmeal, I feel like I am so much more hungry than when I started after. And it's because it is really a high carbohydrate meal, very mm-hmm. carbohydrate rich, especially if you're not having it with protein that yeah. you it could spike your blood glucose levels, which can make you feel that prolonged spike, you can continue to feel more hungry and crave more food. And some people just don't do well with that. But others feel amazing after oatmeal, like feel so full. But breakfast is a great time to experiment because you do have lower blood sugar. So you're going to want to try and set the course for the rest of your day. So having that like baseline and kind of seeing, oh, what does my body respond best to? I like that too, because it doesn't, it it also takes out a lot of other limiting factors. Like later in the day for work, you might be busy, you might be stressed. You might've been more or less active through the day than before, where usually mornings are usually a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more untouched. You know, like you might have, you might have things like this, but there's less things to interfere with you throughout the day, where if you're trying to test these things out at dinner time. You could have had a day where you were on your feet all day. So just naturally after dinner, you're going to be more hungry that day than when you weren't. Yeah. Or maybe a stressful day at work or whatever. More things interfere with you later in the day than the beginning. So I actually like that tip a ton. And sometimes it's as simple, like it may not be the macronutrient distribution. It might just be, oh, I'm having one slice of avocado toast with an egg. Maybe I need to make my breakfast bigger and have two. And wow, that keeps me full for four hours. I don't end Mm -hmm. up snacking in that time period. And I have a smaller lunch. That's also something that don't be scared to have a big breakfast if you're actually really hungry in the morning. Like big W, big win. Sorry, got off big win. No, that was a perfect one. Now, leading into it's our last one. I really like this. This was good. This is actually this is a very good one. Number ten. Hit him with it to close in this list. Getting sick often, and I want to give another disclaimer just because. If you have an, an illness, if you have some sort of disease, if you know something is wrong, that you is the reason why you get sick very often. I'm not, this is not who I'm talking to. It's, you can be a healthy person and get like colds all the time, be more prone to contracting like a virus, just feel like you are always, always, always getting sick, not to the point where you know have to go to the hospital and are on your deathbed, which if your immune system is compromised, that's a different story. But eating too few calories again, can lead to deficiencies in micronutrients, also antioxidants responsible for fighting illnesses along with supporting the immune system. Mm -hmm. So you think about vitamin C. No, if you take a vitamin C supplement, it's not going to prevent you from getting sick or if you're sick, it's not going to stop your illness. There's so many people that just take so much. That kills me when it's like, oh, I'm sick. Let me take 8,000 times the daily dose of vitamin C. It just plays, vitamin C plays an important role in your immune response. So having enough of it is very important. Having enough of these micronutrients and antioxidants that play a very pivotal role in your immune response does not happen if you are not eating enough food. So you get more prone to illness. And I think that that's just something also not considered. It's because honestly, now that I'm realizing it, Tony, I feel like this micronutrient conversation 
Like you could be eating enough and just not eating enough micronutrients. And I was going to say, it's come up in a lot of these different points. I've started yeah. to notice too. It's like a lot of these, it's not directly due to like low, low energy per se, but it could also be brought on just by poor. I'm telling you, everyone's like, oh, macro this, if it fits your macro this, which I'm a big component of. I love macros, flexible dining. We could make 2023 the year of the micros. I know. I know. And especially if you're yeah, sick, like that, like we, you could target so many different populations of people, so many different groups with different intentions. Like mm -hmm. say you're, you're like, you're bulking and you're just pounding protein calories, but you have no micronutrients and you cannot, you're not seeing your progress in the gym at all. If you are constantly getting sick, like that's going to mess with any goal you have, but you can't function normally when you're sick. So yeah. I think that, yeah, that's especially one and just the role that vitamins well, and minerals play in all of the processes in your body. Like we just look at food so often as a number. And yeah. Now I'm looking, cause it is from both, right? And I think that's not to offset like that lower intake does a lot of these things. Well, like just lower intake on its own. You gotta remember one micronutrients are huge. Your body needs it to function Two, Your body is adaptive. Your body adapts, your body evolves to whatever it's given. So if you're not giving it enough food, and this is not to be confused with breaking your metabolism or starvation mode. But if you're constantly giving your body less energy than it needs to do all of its normal functions in a healthy manner, in the optimal way, it's going to start suppressing in areas that you don't necessarily want it to be suppressed in where your body spends. Cause it does, I'm not getting enough energy. I need to spend less. It's not going to crush your energy, but it's going to start cutting corners somewhere that you don't want it to. So that's why a lot of these are, due to micronutrients and low intake. A lot of these are due from low intake, even if you are getting enough, if you're eating pure veggies and fruits and meats, but you're just not eating enough food, like you're very micronutrient dense, but you're not eating a lot of food, that's still not going to be good. That's mm -hmm. not good for you. It's gonna show up in all of these areas that we talked about today, but it's not just that area that needs help. That's an underlying issue that's like, okay, there's a lot going on down here that you need to figure out Thank God that this, one of these 10 signals popped up to show you first, mm -hmm. but there's other stuff going on. It's not just that you're getting sick. It's not just that you're thinking about food. It's not just that you have brain fog or trouble constantly. It's not just that you're feeling cold. That's one thing that you notice. There's a lot that you don't. I think that's mm -hmm. important to say. Now, I want to ask you here. So let's say, because this is a tricky way, and I think we, we want to give direction. Let's say this is you, if it, whatever reason got you here, but let's say you have been under eating. And you're like, man, I do think I experience a lot of these through the day. I'm looking at my calorie intake. I know I'm not eating a lot of food, probably not enough. What steps could and should someone take if they think that's them and what they can do about it? Cause it's not just, and it's not a solution. It's just eat more food. That's not a solution. So what practical steps should people take? Yeah. So there's going to be there. a few, I can think of a few different roads you can go down with this. But the first thing you're going to have to do is figure out why you're under eating. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out why, why you're under eating or restricting or both. So you have to figure that out that why, because for the person who is under eating due to some disordered eating behavior, and that's what it's related to, your mode of action is going to be entirely different in terms of what yes. you seek out and the help you seek out for than someone who is just not one, maybe didn't even know they weren't eating enough yeah. and, or doesn't, you don't have access to the food. You're not, you don't really know where to begin, things like that, like your schedule and like just more so like a food can be inconvenient. And sometimes I just don't have the time or I forget things like that. So that is going to be completely different. So if you are in the camp of, you know, you are consciously not eating for mm -hmm. whatever reason from a disordered eating kind of connection there, definitely. Cause obviously the answer is to eat more for everyone, but that's not simple and that's not mm -hmm. applicable. Yeah. That is where I would say I wouldn't go personally go further. You definitely need to and should hopefully go seek out professional help yeah. so you can because you're not in a place where you can just plan out yeah. your meals, eat more, make eating more convenient. That's not really yeah. the so finding a registered dietitian would be 
great yeah. if you have and access to one. Good point. Uh, Specialized help too, like not just yeah. a, not just any dietitian, but one that has a track record of working with specifically what you're trying to deal with. Yeah, or even mental health, like therapy, can be a great option. But just seeking out some sort of med- specialized medical. I think yeah, specialized help for sure. Yeah, yeah. I would stop there just because. I think that's a perfect answer though. How do you solve any problem? And I think where most people fail in solving problems, they don't clearly define what the problem is and they don't clearly define why that problem is occurring. Mm -hmm. They might see a problem and that's where they'll stop. But perfectly said, I think on your part, you have to first define like, okay, I'm under eating that I'm pretty certain I'm under eating and not just stop there and say, okay, I need to go find help because you don't know why you need help. Yeah. Ask yourself and really dig deep. Why? Are you under eating? Doesn't have to be an answer that you like, but find out why that's coming up and what's consistently being shown up. And then find someone who is specialized and professional who has dealt with others like that. I mean, there's dozens of different reasons why someone could be under eating. It's not just one or two reasons. So, so many. So you go to the other end of, okay, maybe I think I'm under eating. I'm not sure. How do I find out? I feel like we've recommended this a few times, but track your, and again, this, if it's not disordered, eating related, like you really just think you have no, actually no idea, but you do connect with a few of these things. Go find out how much you're actually eating in a day. Track your calories for, I would honestly say it'd be ideal to get two weeks or even a week sometimes, but like how you would normally eat, how you've been consistently eating, get a representation of that. And then I like to determine what's low. I can't tell you an exact number because I don't know you would have to figure out how much calories you actually need in a day so compared to that if you're significantly eating I don't even want to give a number it's different for everybody and here's the thing too let's say we just set a number and this is not me saying a number but if if we did say a random number and you are eating there or above there but you're still experiencing seven or eight of these signs yeah. That might not be under eating for some people, but it might be yeah. under eating for you. Yeah. So I guarantee even just us sitting here, me and you would have, that'd be a different definition for each of us of mm-hmm. what's eating too little. Yeah. It's so, different for everybody. So I think that's the right. It's, there's no number. So there's not a hard concrete answer for that. Yeah. And you can seek that out with maybe working with a coach, getting outside help if, if you really are unsure, but say you do know, you find out you're under eating, getting to a point where if it is an access or convenience or time thing, how can I plan ahead so that I'm prepared to have food during my day? I see this a lot with clients. I'm sure you do too, but those who, especially if you work in the healthcare field or if you're on your feet all day, or if you're at the office all day, if you do not have meals prepared with you, oftentimes when you get hungry, you're going to snack on maybe snacks that are around, or you're going to ignore that hunger. And then you get home and it's a binge because you're so hungry. Mm-hmm. Prep your try, Find a time during your weekend, or if you have a different type of schedule in your evening during the day, a consistent time where you can plan out some sort of meal prep, whether it's some high protein, high protein meals, really, really, really try to do that because Again, if you are experiencing this and it's just the lack of having food that is going to satisfy your hunger around you and not having that readily in front of you, the best answer to that is to put that in front of you. And Big time. like, there's really no other, even if you plan out, oh, I'm going to get like a kava or a sweet green at lunch today. I'm going to kind of like look at the food. That's still planning. Like if you can't cook, like that's still planning. Maybe I'm going to look into some. Delivery. People forget about that. It's like just simply yeah. thinking about it beforehand. Yeah. Taking 30 seconds to think about it beforehand the night before yeah. the morning before simply at least plants that seed in the head that you're prepared for what's mm-hmm. about to happen. Yeah. So that the planning aspect is going to be so, so helpful and getting yourself to a a point where you can just, you're increasing your calories, whether that's at certain meals or eating some higher calorie foods, the approach is going to be similar to how you can do that. Whether that is, okay, I don't have a protein source at each meal, so I'm going to add that in, or I'm going to add in some fats because they're a little bit 
higher in calories and you don't have to track to do this. So if you don't want to track anything, like after you figure out where you are, you don't have to. Adding nutrient dense foods, especially in healthy fats, like that can be a great way to increase your caloric intake. Adding in more larger meals that have some fiber, have some protein, have some fat in them. Say you're only having one big meal a day. Okay, maybe I'm going to add a meal. That can be a goal. So really, you don't have to look about at it as your whole week. But okay, how can I increase just my calorie intake in the day? First, mm-hmm. start looking at how many meals you eat a day because it's a lot more uncomfortable to have to just pack it into all one single meal. Yeah, And then maybe I start bringing a snack to work or having a snack that mm-hmm. I have ready. So again, it falls under that planning thing, but look at your day and where you can add and look at those pieces of what are some micronutrient dense foods? What are some high fiber foods? Yeah. What are some high protein foods? Yeah. Just keep testing, testing, testing because yeah. something that might work for you might not work for someone else. And something that worked for someone else probably might not work for you. I think we went deeper than we thought. We thought it was going to be a quicker one, but this was a solid friggin' episode, top 10 yeah. signs, you might not be eating enough food. So I think a couple quick ideas. One, remember, and I urge everyone to do this, check out Eat This Much. Again, that's in our show notes, in the link in our bios, on our social medias. Check them out to test out new foods. Like we were talking about today, if you need to test out different satiety meals for you, just hit the refresh button as many friggin' times. You get a million yeah. different meals. Go check it out. If you just want to explore, want to try something new or think that might help you. Check us out again in our $5 Patreon, our research review that we send out weekly. It's a $5 a month subscription over on Patreon. That's going to be also down in our show notes or in the link in our bio as well. You can come and comment, talk to us in there, and then you know where else to find us. FS.pod on Instagram, on TikTok. Fitness stuff for normal people in parentheses in on YouTube. And then we got what? Mariana's leaving us for a week. So yes, we'll just be sad stuck here. Or wherever you're listening from while she's in Colombia. I'll be in Colombia. With Pablo Escobar. Having fun. How'd you know? (laughs) (laughs) All right. We love every single one of you. And we hope you have a productive day. Can we just snack? Talk to you soon.